Well, I can't help but wonder on a day like this, the day prior to Christmas, where over the course of the centuries, counting backwards till the very first Christmas, people have been proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Have you ever heard really good news from someone? I couldn't help but just get really excited. I wonder if it's not just that you couldn't help get really excited. Have you ever wanted to share good news with somebody else? And, and maybe, maybe you heard some great news while you were at work or at school or maybe away while you were traveling somewhere. And you couldn't wait to share it with the people that you know and you love. And what do you expect? What kind of response What would you hope to hear from a person when you share really great news? I got that job! And they go, oh. Or maybe they jump jump with you and celebrate with you. And A person's response tells a lot about what they think about the person sharing it. Of course, how they think about the news. At Christmas, we celebrate the greatest news that God came into the world. You know, the word gospel means good news, and Christians love sharing the good news. What I thought would be really appropriate to do tonight as we just center our hearts and our minds before heading on out, doing family traditions, uh, filling our bellies, uh, maybe all kinds of fun things you'll do around a Christmas tree tonight and then celebrate Christmas Day tomorrow, I thought it would be really helpful for us just to pause, uh, take a look at the Word of God. And just read a passage together. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2. We're going to do verses 1 through 11. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. But what I'm going to try to draw out here that I think might be helpful for us is four responses that people have when they heard the news of Jesus' birth. You might have a nativity scene at home, as my family certainly does, and um, might picture all the little characters that are there, and they got to see Jesus. It was no longer news when they got there. The news was gone. It was reality. They were there seeing this little baby who was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But before people arrived there, they heard the news of his birth. Those who would not actually make their way to the stable scene heard about this Messiah come. I want to look at four different responses that people might give that we see here in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the text today. Father, we love you. We are so grateful for Christmas and what it means. Lord, we are so grateful that you had such great mercy, such graciousness, such love for lost people here, that you sent your only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Father, we look at Christmas as this extraordinary miracle because it is. And Lord, we know that as Christians, we get to celebrate not just the fact that Jesus came, but that he lived a holy and perfect life, that he died for sinners on a cross and then rose again from the dead. We are so grateful for that ultimate full story gospel. Lord, let us consider tonight the beginning of that story on earth with Jesus' birth, and people's response to hearing that he would be born. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, I'll start. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod is seated perhaps on his throne, maybe surrounded by a bunch of his other advisors and counselors and wise men from the east. The word there is magi. You may have heard the term magi referring to these wise men. It doesn't specify the number of the wise men. We typically kind of think of the number three because we know that there were three gifts given to Jesus. And so some have speculated perhaps one per. It'd be weird if there was a fourth guy with no gift. He forgot all the way back in the east. Nevertheless, these are the wise men standing before Herod, and they're sharing this news with them. Whether or not he realizes it at first, they're sharing that they're coming to find this already born Jesus. Jesus' coming was a threat to Herod. Herod was the local ruler there, and it was no wonder that he might be troubled by Jesus' birth. Look what it says there in verse 3. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled he was troubled. What does it mean when we hear that Herod was troubled? Well, we can quickly look forward and see what happens later in Herod's life as we view back in history. We can uh, look back and see later in this account, even in Matthew's accounting of this story, to tell us the way that he'll respond. But what we do know about Herod is that he was notoriously paranoid. Herod, as a ruler, killed people in his own family, sons even, to try to keep them away from his throne, his power. He had was not afraid of hurting even his own family members. In fact, many scholars agree that he was unstable and perhaps even crazy. He died of an excruciating, unknown disease that lasted much longer than one might have thought. And as his imminent death drew near, he was so concerned that his constituents would mourn his passing that he invited a large group of distinguished Jews to Jericho, where he was, and ordered them to be killed at the moment of his death so that Israel would mourn. Luckily, his successors did not follow through with his wishes on that particular occasion. What it does mean, though, is that Herod is troubled. What we know troubled is right off the bat is it's not a good response. If somebody were to tell you their good news, I got the job, and you were to feel troubled. Well, that's probably not the response that they might hope if they were sharing that news with you. Herod eventually devises a brutal plot to kill Jesus. In fact, after the passage we're going to read today, in verse 16, it says this about Herod. The, the wise men would go see Jesus and then eventually would refuse to go back to Herod because they assumed that he would do something terrible and heard it in a dream from God that, in fact, he would. It says this about, about that situation. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So when it says that Herod is troubled, that, that bad response, what we know that troubled turns into for him is fury rage. He orders a campaign of infanticide just to make sure that he doesn't miss in trying to end the life of the one they call this young king. It's not very surprising that a man like this would be so threatened 
by one called a king. Particularly if he first heard of that news from foreign dignitaries coming to worship this king. Isn't it interesting? They didn't come to worship Herod. They're like, hey, Herod, uh, do you know where this guy is that we're coming to worship? We have expensive gifts to give him. Herod was threatened. Unfortunately, this kind of response is not unique to King Herod. The Pharisees in Jesus' day responded the very same way. Gnashing of teeth, hatred, fury, rage towards Jesus and His coming. Throughout history, Christians have found this to be an all-too-common reaction to the news of Jesus' coming. I want you to consider that when the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, preached the gospel all over the Roman world, what was the most common response? Anger. People hated hearing the gospel. One particular point, Paul recounts the kind of suffering he went through because he shared the gospel. He says this about himself in 2 Corinthians 11. He tells us that he has, an, he has endured great labors, imprisonments, countless beatings, and was often near death. And then he says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul broke no known laws. He didn't hurt anybody, didn't kill anybody, didn't steal anything. Why did he endure so much suffering? Words. He told people about Jesus. When people hear the news of Jesus is coming, it is all too common that they respond this way, with, with hatred, with rage. That's the kind of trouble that we find in Herod. That's the kind of bad response. What might sound surprising, though, is that Herod is not the only one who responds poorly. Herod is not the only one who responds with something other than a positive joy. That verse tells us that when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Okay, we we might imagine that. And all Jerusalem with him. What? If you know anything about this period of history, you might know that the Romans were in control, in authority over this land. They actually were to grab Herod, who would say that he would be loyal to them, and he made Herod king over these Jews, because he's the only one who said that, I will keep those Jews in line, and he was a bloody ruler. But the Romans were in control over these Jews. Herod then was also in control over these Jews. It was not a pleasant time to be a Jew. What better time for them to be wanting their king of kings, their Messiah to come, the son of David. And yet, they were troubled. Troubled. What does it mean the people were troubled? Well, just so we understand, the word troubled here means disturbed, panicked, terrified. We see that quickly turned into rage for Herod. But for the people, they were disturbed. This very same word, troubled, 
is translated terrified later in the book of Matthew. I'll read it in Matthew 14. This is when the disciples are in this boat and they see Jesus walking on the sea in the midst of a storm. And this is what it says. But when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. That word terrified, they were terrified and they cried out in fear. That terrified is the same word as troubled. Why would the people in Jerusalem respond this way? John 1.11 says of the people in Jesus' day and his coming and their response to it. It says this in John 1.11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And why? As it'll clarify even more. John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. Just like Herod, we hate when our thrones are threatened. It scares us. To acknowledge Jesus as king means just that. To acknowledge that he is the one who has authority over me. It was not uncommon for people to respond with fear like this in Jesus' day. Jesus once healed two men who were demon-possessed, and they, so much so in the area of the Gerasenes, they were not able to be controlled. Nobody could stop them. They were chained up. They could break the chains. They, were, uh, they, would, they would beat up people who came on by. They were a nuisance, a public nuisance to everyone in that area. And Jesus came, and with authority, with his words, Jesus cast a legion of demons out. And do you know what the people in that region did? Out of great fear, they came to Jesus and begged him to leave. It is terrifying for our flesh to imagine an authority so much greater than us. We spend much of the energy in our lives trying to gain and keep control over things. It's my plan. This is my life. The message of the gospel is that we are to die to self, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, to consider our life as rubbish, to put Jesus first. One of my favorite Christmas songs begins like this. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Jerusalem had not prepared their hearts. They had no room for Jesus. They were not ready. And unfortunately, today, many people feel the same way. And so they respond with fear. The bad responses we see right here off the bat are those of hatred and a troublesome fear. This telling will continue. We'll see yet another response and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, that's Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and they quote Malachi of the Old Testament, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." So Herod, he doesn't know, but he asked the scribes, he asked the religious leaders, he asked the ones who would hold 
the Bible, in Old Testament, scrolls. And he would know where the Messiah was to be born. He was getting this information, of course, for the wise men. A couple of verses earlier were asking him about this Messiah. I want you to consider this third response to the news of Jesus' coming. This one is baffling to me. I can understand a hatred from a king who wants to keep authority. I can understand a, a kind of fear about losing control over ourselves by somebody else who's coming with so much greater authority. But this one, it's implied in the text here, though not clearly stated. So I'm going to show you this by asking the question, where did Herod get his info from the priests and the scribes? And what did the priests and the scribes do next? Nothing. Nothing. It seems highly likely to me that these scribes had some knowledge of these magi. Certainly, they must have been among the all-Jerusalem mentioned in verse 4, who were troubled. Think about that. What did these learned religious people do when they find out that the Christ had been born? Did they flock to Bethlehem? What? They're people. He's, he's here? They said he's already been born and they're coming to see the already born Messiah. We know where he's going to be. Bethlehem. It's that little town just a few miles from Jerusalem. They could, they could have walked there between breakfast and brunch. They could have been there to try to protect their little king when Herod would try to do something awful to the children in the area. And they could have worshipped. There could have been an entire entourage of people coming out of Jerusalem. Well, I'm going with these wise men. They're going, they're going to the Messiah. Their response, indifference. Apathy. Absolute inactivity. Unfortunately, this seems to be the response of many people today. Indifference. If you, were to, if you were to stand up in a crowded place and just start shouting the gospel, I have great news! What would you expect people to say when they heard it? Not, in all fairness, you might go, well, that's not a really typical communication method. That's so awkward that maybe we might not expect a really positive response. Well, what if you were to invite somebody over to your home who'd never heard the gospel? and shared with them the news of this king born. That's why we celebrate Christmas. What would you expect? Our nation is filled with Christians and churches, and many people have at least some knowledge of Jesus born in a manger at Christmas. But for many, the response is just indifference. We see this response from people all throughout the life of Jesus and the book of Acts. We see people who are there before Jesus, thousands being fed bread miraculously by him, and when they don't understand some of his teaching, they just go, huh? Did you forget the miracles? The authentication? This perfect God-man standing there? Uh. I want you to ask yourself, was this you? I remember apathy. I remember that response. Was this you before you were saved? Do you remember days or months or maybe years? Do you remember conversations 
with people, before you embraced the gospel, before you fell in love with Jesus, when you just didn't really, you're just too busy? It didn't seem like that big of news? One of the things that is so eye-opening about doing stranger evangelism is how many times you just offer the good news of eternal life. I just don't care. Not busy, not going to work. I just, I don't really want to hear about this Jesus guy. Indifference. You and I should expect that we may meet many people in our life who respond to the gospel this way, as likely we had until God awakens the heart. We will find nothing genuinely compelling about this news of a come king. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So let's, let's review real quick. The, the first response that I showed was the, the Herod-like response. Anger, hatred. The second response was fear, troubled fear. Third response, indifference. And this response, joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Herod's trying to find out. He does this secretly. He doesn't do this in front of everybody else. We all know that's not what he's trying to do. The angel in the dream will come later and explain, nope, he's going to try to kill Jesus. And certainly that's what he does. <clears throat> this is why a lot of people think that they, uh, they might not have arrived until Jesus was close to two years old. Because it will say of these wise men that they said that it was about two years ago that they first saw this star that led them to see Jesus in the first place. We don't know. It doesn't say exactly. There's, there's too much room in the text for uncertainty on that. But we know that when they got to Jerusalem, they needed help finding the location. And once they had a kind of direction, the star came to rest over the place where the child was. That's pretty supernatural. You and I may have seen many beautiful stars, but this one was distinct. Something about this was unrepeatable. Why do you and I not see stars floating around in our atmosphere and landing over houses? Because it doesn't repeat itself. It's a miracle. That's the point. And they saw the star. They didn't see the, the boy Jesus yet. Have they? Have they seen the baby yet? No. When they saw the star, they haven't even been, gotten there yet. They rejoiced exceedingly. <laughs> and then Matthew adds, with great joy. Not wimpy joy. With great joy. Out of anticipation end of their journey, finding this Messiah, the miraculous confirmation that they saw made them overjoyed. There were others who had the same kind of reaction when they heard the news of Jesus, joy. 
We see Mary having the same kind of reaction. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. We, we hear of John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb jump for joy when Mary comes with an earshot when she's pregnant with Jesus. We want this kind of wonderful response from people when we share the gospel, don't we? Don't you have loved ones in your life that you want them to be overjoyed for the news that we celebrate at Christmas? But this is not the end goal. Jesus once told a parable about a seed being thrown out by a sower. And one of the kinds of soil that the seed would land on, he describes like this in Matthew 13. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is a parable. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. It is possible for a person to hear the good news, even respond with joy, but for that joy to fade into unbelief. In other words, imagine this. What if these wise men had traveled from a far distance away, saw the star just like this, responded with joy, and then when they showed up and saw that it was just a little baby in a feeding trough surrounded by animals, nothing impressive, whatever they saw, and went, this is what we came all this way for? We have common babies back at home. Would they have been wise then? Might we have referred to these men as wise men after that? My parents used to uh, like putting a little more Christmas decorations on the outside of the house each year. And their thinking was, we're the Christians on the block. We want our, we want our house to shine. And they put lots of lights out. It was a fun tradition. And one year, my mom got this idea. And she was a bit of a woodworker. So she went and got a piece of plywood, probably four feet wide by three feet high. And she cut like an oval shape out of there and started painting it. And when we saw the final, it was a giant sign that she put on the front of our house with a spotlight that said, wise men still seek him. Maybe you're familiar with that phrase, Christmas time. That's true. But if they had found Jesus, if they had encountered him and did not love him, did not see him fit to worship, thought it would be a waste to give their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So what? That they were overjoyed. There may be many people who are thrilled to celebrate Christmas, but don't love Jesus. There is one ultimate way that we should respond. Once we encounter the one about whom we've heard the news. You see how that's different? We hear news, and you'll have a kind of response. I just walked through four possible responses. Hatred or rage. Uh, then there's a, there's a kind of fear. Then there's an indifference to the news. And then there's joy for the news. But once the encounter happens, what's the response then? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's the right response. Their joy ended in the way we would hope that it would end. Not in the parable the sower kind of joy that fades, but the joy that led them through the door and worshiped Jesus. Can you, can you picture that? These men who would somehow get the ear of a king, like Herod, with these kinds of rich gifts, kneeling before a baby. They worship the first worshipers of Jesus in the New Testament. Were not Jews, they were not religious zealots, they were not Israelite revolutionaries ready to fight a war for him, they were Gentiles. This is the right response. It is what we as his disciples want for those that we love. That they would hear the good news, that they would seek the truth, and when they find him, to worship him. There's another part of this that is glorious and true that we have to acknowledge as we're thinking about a person encountering Jesus. Whether the response to gospel proclamation is at first hatred, fear, indifference, or joy. What matters is when the encounter with Jesus comes, what follows it? We want worship. Many people have responded with those wrong responses when they first heard the news. You and I know of ourselves in our life, the way that we responded when we first heard the news, or maybe continually heard the news from a family member, a friend, who just wouldn't drop this Jesus thing. But something eventually happened, an encounter with Jesus, and that produced worship. Let us spend our lives proclaiming gospel to the world and pray that we may multiply Jesus' worshipers. Let's pray. Father, this very evening as we celebrate the night before Jesus was born, we sing songs in worship to this King. We celebrate with joy. We have various traditions that remind us of these good things that we have received because of this Jesus that we love. Lord, we are so grateful for that. Father, we pray this very night that you would bring many more disciples to their knees worshiping your Son. Father, if there is any way that we can be a part of proclaiming gospel truth, sharing it with other people that we love, even if their responses aren't what we might want at first. Father, help us to be persistent in our prayers, to cry out to you that, Lord, when the encounter might come, that those that we love would fall on their knees and worship you alongside us. We love you, Lord, and we praise you for this Christmas time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.